Welcome to the Power of Exposure podcast, powered by Summerhouse Institute. This podcast captures the experiences of our 13 fellows who went through a four week intensive to understand what it's like to work in the public education sector. As black men interested in education, there aren't many places to turn because in this space, the voices of black men are wildly underrepresented. This podcast is our attempt to amplify them. These are real stories from a great group of young men who are passionate about not just changing the education sector, but changing the world. And their time is now. Uh, my name is James Williams. I'm from Houston. I attend Texas Southern University. I major in criminal justice and I'm my name math. Uh, so the Sumhouse Institute bro- program, well, uh, how did I join or what uh, got my attention about it? Actually, like, I feel like this was like destined or like fake, whatever you may call it, because like this wasn't even sent to me by the Sumhouse program. This was sent to me by a friend who got the email from another friend and she just sent it to me and was like, hey, you know, I know you're looking into becoming a teacher. So, you know, you should apply for this. So, of course, I was a little bit hesitant about applying for it because it's just like me, like I apply for scholarships and I get my all in a lot of like things and I never get selected. And within this case, like it was just like I got selected and like I was super excited. Like before I even got selected for the program, I told my mama about it and she was like excited for me. And she was like, you going to get in, you going to get in. And I, you know, I just I take everything with a grain of salt. Like I always, you know, always see the good, but I also see that's a possibility that things won't happen. Like, I always look into reality and my mama is like, just very optimistic. That's not me. Not all the time. But, uh, she's just like, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna get it. You're gonna, you know, just, just wait, just wait. And I was like, okay. So, like, time was just getting closer and closer. And I was like, and it got to one point, I was like, yeah, like, it ain't happening. And, like, literally just out the blue in the middle of a movie. I don't know why. I guess I was bored being in the middle of a movie. I just checked my uh, checked my email, and boom, there it was like confirmation. Congratulations, you've been selected, you know, to the Summerhouse Institute program. So, soon as the movie was over, went to back home, told my mama, "Hey, I got in." She was super excited. She started telling her friends about it on the phone. So, you know, so we were just like happy, just getting into this program. And like the experiences I had being in this program, it can't be beat, it can't be replicated, and it can't be duplicated. Like, just like seeing people that look like you, that walk like you, that talk like you, in the same space that you want to grow in, like it can't be, it can't be beat. Like this, that puts so much value on it because there's not many out there that look like us especially as like black men there's only two percent it's literally only two percent of black males as teachers so you lucky if you get to see a black male that's a teacher not a coach a teacher anytime i had a black male figure inside of a, a school or a classroom it was a a coach and if he was in the classroom more than likely i did something i wasn't supposed to do and they called the coach down now only time the man was in the classroom. So, like, just being in a space where people, like, look like me, 
they talk like me, like they understand me, like it just can't be beat. And I was just grateful for this opportunity and just happy like that I was selected for it. So like, so like my like my uh my thing about it is just like you know just like the insight and the knowledge I got from just being a part of the program, like knowing that like even though like like I know this is about a lot of the male educators like I'm a major in criminal justice and I'm minor in math. There's nowhere in that that it say teaching. But teaching was not a lot of the black males that we talked to first option. Like this this wasn't on their mind. It's just something led them this way. So it was just like nice knowing that like I'm not the only one. Like this isn't this wasn't like something like out the blue, like I can get the job done because it's like I see other people that are doing it. Like a lot of black male a lot of black male teachers, like education never usually that first route and like that was like very surprising to me too like you ended up being a teacher and that's not your first route so like it just built my confidence just feeling like if they can do it i can do it too um and the subject like i just want to teach in school is math anything math related i'm down for it i don't want to teach elementary i don't think i got the patience for that but seventh grade to twelfth I'm down for any time of the day. Uh, seventh grade, you know, algebra, uh, calculus, anything but geometry. Geometry, I teach it, but that ain't that ain't the first option on a on a list. So, anything math related, yeah, like I'm sold on that. Uh, I feel like a lot of the a lot of other black males that want to become teachers should definitely invest their summer into the summer house institute program like this feeling can't be beat like i cannot stress this enough like being around black males that look like you that walk like you that talk like you that some of them come from where you come from so they understand you like the value on that is so important it can't be beat like there's nothing I can say about it that's just that's just more impactful just like seeing and understanding like just seeing these people that look like you in the same space as you is is going to do wonders because it's like man like you can't tell me i can't do it if they doing it like these these people are like living proof that it's possible and like just the way they teach and the way they explain and like the way like they just motivate you that that right there was just amazing to me so like that really kind of like made me decide my topic of my conversation for this podcast which is like about this learning gap now i never really felt like it was a learning gap to begin with but like just this somehow program just really just dead that are all just dead it for me like there's no there's no such thing as a a learning gap like i can't see it any other way like nobody would be able would be able to tell me differently or argue with any other way telling me hey you know well maybe look at it from this side of you no like a learning gap doesn't exist at all it's not that a student isn't retaining the information needed like any slower than this than their white counterpoints it's that they are dealing with so much 
outside of school. That school isn't important to them. And I know this because it was me. Like, truth be told, it is what it is. Like, I grew up, if you you from Houston, you know what it is. Like, I grew up in Trinidad. Curry Road Apartments, I went to James Bowie Elementary. That was my first elementary school. Uh, James Bowie was, like, right across the street. Literally, like, right behind my apartments. We lived in the Section 8 apartments. My mom was on food stamps, like, wicks, all that. Like, it was times where we couldn't eat. It was times where we had no power. It was times where, like, we had to go and clothes. We had to go to school, but, like, our clothes just, like, draped in for breeze or something to hide the smell because, like, the water was cut off. The lights was cut off. So my mama did her best. And this is a lady that worked two jobs, getting off at 3 o'clock in the morning, taking care of six kids, getting off at 3 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it was times where we would stay with her till 3 o'clock in the morning because there was nobody else to watch us. There was nobody else to care for us. There was nobody else. Like, this is my mama. She's a single parent. So it was 3 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes we'll have, my mom didn't have a car, so we had to ride the bus home. And you know, if you anything about riding the bus, it ain't a point A to point B stop. It's a point A, B, F, X, Z stop. So you taking multiple stops just to get to the house, which a 10 minute drive is now a 40 minute drive. So mind you, like you still gotta be up in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning to attend school. And you didn't get in bed until 4.30. Like these are the type of times we had. So it was like, you know, you waking up already at seven o'clock in the morning when you just went to sleep and like you telling me I gotta go learn? Learn about what? And then it's like when you get to the classrooms, there's teachers in there that don't care. Like my teachers never care. Like uh I feel like uh Miss Rebecca, uh she talked about a point where, you know, I went to an underperforming school. Mostly all my schools were underperforming. Matter of fact, all of them were underperforming. I went to underperforming schools and I went to underperforming districts. And she talked about, you know, how where these schools where teachers aren't getting paid a, a lot. So it's like teachers aren't motivated to teach students because it's like, you know, they feel like they ain't getting paid enough for this and this and that. And like I can understand that. But at the same time, it was like we were, we didn't ask for you to be our teacher. You know, you chose the job. And with the teachers I had, I never felt like they cared. Like, all the teachers I had never grew up in the same communities that I lived in. Or, like, they didn't stay in the community communities that I lived in. Like, my teachers lived, like, 40, 50 minutes away from where I was from. Like, they didn't understand the struggles that I lived with every day. Like, they didn't understand being a child in the hood 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, you riding home with your mama. And by the front entrance gate, there's prostitutes hanging out, selling their bodies, men pulling up in their cars, you know, talking to these ladies and, you know, just, you know, people doing what they got to do to live. Like, I've seen this. This this is what I've seen at four, five, six, seven years old. Like, this is elementary me. We're not even going to high school me. Like, this is what it was in elementary. So, for me to, like... For me to continue to uh, to just like try to care about school when I had so much other stuff going on. Mind you, I got six siblings. Like I have a father right now 
that's in jail having 18, 18 uh, year sentence for something gun related. Fajardo was in and out of jail like he was never in my life. He was in the cell more than he was around me. You know, now he have 18 years. So at this point, it's like he may, he wasn't even in my life. He may not even been in a life to see my grand, like his grandkids grow up. So my children grow up if I have them, if I'm blessed to have kids. He may not even be around to see them grow up. And it's like, I can't even be mad at him because he's a product of his community. And that's why I feel like that's why there's a gap. There's, that's where the gap comes from. The gap doesn't come from a child's willingness to learn. It comes from what he's surrounded by. You know, like if you're surrounded by violence, you're going to be more prone to commit violent acts. If, if you're surrounded by people that's willing to help, you're going to be more prone to be getting the proper care and the proper need and like succeeding in life. Because you have people out there that's lending you a hand instead of stabbing you in the back. And I grew up where you had to be very cautious of everybody and everything. Well, when you go down somewhere like Katy High School where these kids free roaming and talking to everybody and somebody can pull up beside them and they feel okay about that. Like everything I did had to be a head, my head on a swivel. Like my, my closest, the dude I considered a big brother to me. He was gunned down at his job by people he considered friends. And I feel like... I know, well, I know after that situation, my mama looked at me and she was just like, you know, we, we got to get you out of here. Like we, we have to, I can't let you grow up to be your father or I can't let you grow up or I can't let you die like Pooh. You know, I don't want you to be your dad and I don't want you to be Pooh. So we got to do something better for you. And she took me out of that community and we moved to, uh, Move to Humble. Now, Humble, it's not, you know, it ain't the best, but it ain't the worst. You know, like, I was at the worst. This was the middle of the road. It went from being a majority black school to a majority uh, Hispanic district. This district was still underperforming, but yet, like, we still had more resources. Like, I was, I was at schools where you can literally, like, literally run out of meals at school. And they would have to serve you stuff from like breakfast or anything like that. Like they like buy you bags of chips. Like we didn't have enough food to feed kids to where like I went to school where like that was never a problem. Like little things like that people take for granted. Like I didn't have over there, you know. So Umbo was a Umbo. I uh, oh Aldean. I, I it was Aldean. We I lived in Umbo, but I went to Aldean. Uh, if you know Aldean, Aldean is an underperforming school district. Aldean isn't the best school district in the world, but it was better than HISD. So, you know, just uh, being there and just seeing the difference, like, like, bro, like these people here, like when I was in HISD, they was considering putting me in like remedial or special education classes because I just wasn't getting it. But it wasn't because I wasn't getting it. It's because nobody was willing to teach me. Like, there was no such thing as after-school, like, programs. Unless it was sports-related when I was at that, when I was in HISD. Like, there was no after-school, like, tutoring until I came over here to Aldine. And when I came to Aldine, like, I was, like, 
you know, almost, I think I was in middle school. Yeah, middle school. So, like, you know, that's when you're supposed to, like, begin, you know, tutoring and stuff like that. There was no tutoring at the schools, Fleming and stuff like that. There wasn't tutoring out there. Like, after school, they want you to take your butt straight home. Like, you know, they trying to get rid of you as soon as possible. But, you know, over there, it's just the little things that count. You know, like, not saying these teachers was better because they were still trash teachers. Like, they still didn't care. But you can, like, you can tell, like, you know, that they took their job a little more serious. So, after school, like, tutoring and just programs like that, you know, like, there were just minor things that I didn't have that when I moved to a school district, there was just a tad bit better than, like, a resource that, like, I had unlocked. So, like, another thing is just, like, the, like, the leadership, like, there wasn't there wasn't people that looked like us in our schools. Like these are people that's supposed to lead you to success, but yet like they don't understand you. Like they don't they not around you. So how can someone lead a group of kids that they never really known? Like how how can you expect someone to follow you that like if they can't really trust you? I can't trust nobody that ain't been through what I've been through. You know, like, how can, how can you tell me the right way to do things if you didn't have to go through what I go through? If you didn't have to do what I did to get where I am? So, it's like, so how, how can you tell me, oh, you know, that this is the route you need to take if you didn't take the road I traveled? So, a lot of our teachers, all, you know, all Dean was a district, but, like, they was living in the woodlands. Katy, Spring, Ataxacita, like these are places where the ballers live. Like, you know, like Paul Wall. If you from Paul Wall, lived in Spring. Like, it, this wasn't for regular people. So, just like knowing that these people cannot be trusted. Like, I, I honestly feel like these people could not be trusted. Like, they didn't really care about me. And one teacher that like made me like feel that way in particular was Miss Pepper. I never forget. You, I feel like you always remember your your worst teacher and your best teacher. Miss Pepper was the worst teacher I ever had. Miss Pepper was straight out of college. She attended Oregon. And when Miss Pepper came to Nimitz my freshman year, she was my science teacher and she would literally tell us all the time, Oh, you don't gotta do it. I'm here I'm gonna get paid regardless. Oh you don't gotta do this. I'm gonna re get paid regardless. Or oh, I still get my check. And if you know, like, you know, as a freshman, I don't think we was tested for science. So it was like in the science department, she didn't, you know, she didn't have to perform because there wasn't a star test or a tax test for us. So she just did it. She, you know, you did the work or you didn't. She didn't care. And just took like, it took all the way to my senior year where my best teacher, Miss Lynn, showed me that. Yo, like, you are capable of a lot. You just have to have somebody to believe in you. Like, I always knew I was good in math. I always knew that was my strong suit. But I doubted myself a lot when it came to classrooms and stuff like that because I just never had a teacher that just paid attention to me. And Ms. Lynn was that teacher. Like, Ms. Lynn would not let me slack. After she seen my test grades, after she seen, like, I was making commendance performance, on math test, like my lowest tax test at the time was a uh, well, still is because I don't take tax tests no more. Was like they was all coming performance, but I think the most I ever got wrong was like five questions. 
So when she seen my tax test scores and stuff like that, she like, you know, like I know about you. So uh, Miss Lynn, like she stayed on me. I mean, one time I messed around and made a 76 on the test. And I never, when I tell you, I never seen somebody face so disappointed in me. Like she had, like she, like my mom had nothing on Miss Lynn disappointed face. Like when Miss Lynn looked at you in disappointment, you really feel like you felt her. And she pulled me to the side. Everybody leaving the classroom. Miss Lynn stopped me. Hey, uh, I'm gonna call your mama. Call my mama for what? You made a 76 on the test. I'm gonna call your mama. And I'm going to tell your mom what you did. So I'm like, man, I'm passed. I'm good. I'm thinking I'm great. Everything's gravy. I get home. Miss Lynn really called my mom. My mama over there standing by the door. Call my whole government name. I, hey, James Williams Jr. Miss Lynn called me today. I'm like, you know, I told my mama, I passed. Yeah, but she told me you got a 76. Now, I, I, if it would have been any other subject, my mom wouldn't have been tripping. But because it was math, she like, now you know better. Like you, you, you're better than that. So she talked to Miss Lynn. Miss Lynn got on the phone with me. I don't speak the phone. Miss Lynn's like, I'm gonna make you a whole new test. Now, whatever grade you get on this test, no matter if it's better than your 70, or if it's, <clears throat> or if it's less than your 76, like this is gonna be your final grade. Like this is gonna be the grade for the test. So I came there the next day. She told me to study. Miss Lynn didn't give me a whole day of studying. Miss Lynn gave me that that time period I was home to study. Came there the next day, Miss Lynn had a whole new test for me. Had to stay after school, miss football practice. She was there. I was the only one there. Miss Lynn stayed behind when she could have been home to give me another test, to give me a second chance to redeem myself. And I walked out of there with a 98. All because someone believed in me. All because somebody took the time out to show me that they cared. And some people may not like, you know, some people, I know for, for a fact, some people didn't like the way she did things because they feel like she was very pushy. But I feel like I needed that to succeed. Like I needed that to feel like I, I was, I was actually like cared for. Like someone like, you know, wanted to see me win. And Ms. Lynn has always wanted to see me win. So when I walked across the stage my senior year, Ms. Lynn, my last name started with a W. Miss Lynn refused to leave the graduation until she seen me walk across the stage. And I never forget the message she like told me. She said, I don't know what you're gonna do in life, but whatever you do, you gotta be great at it. Because like I expect nothing less from you. And to this day I think about that a lot. Like this lady honestly truly believed that I was capable of something. So that that education gap thing, like, there's there's no thing, there's no such thing as that. It's just there's nobody out there that's just really pushing the students in our community like they're supposed to be. Like they're not trying to understand us. Like they're not trying to reach out to us because they don't care. The government doesn't care about us. Like we are putting scenarios or situations where. It is easier to do bad than it is to do good. And sometimes I can understand when the people that grew up where I grew up from do bad things just to see good happen in their family, just to be able to provide for their kids, just to be able to like live their head above water. So 
I don't even fault them for doing what they got to do because I'm not in that situation no more. So I wouldn't understand what it is, but I was once upon a time in that area as a as a kid, but as a grown man, like as an adult, I never had to be back. Like I never been back in, in that situation. So I would never know what it takes to do what they got to do to to just provide, just live above their like their needs. So yeah, that's basically like my podcast. You know, like I just wanted to like just touch on that like as much as I could because like just really getting to know everybody and hearing Sterling talk to me every day. And just seeing how like he how much he cared about us, it just showed me that like this gap that they talk about, it was put into place by a government to keep the black oppressed, and it's just as simple as that. So uh, I don't know how we can fix it, but I know it got to be fixed one day, and like, I hope you know that my conversation or my talk, you know, was interesting or, you know, that you learned something from it. But, you know, this is, this is all I have to talk about. So I guess it's the wrap up. Uh, thank y'all for listening. Uh, I thank the Songhouse Institute program for this opportunity. And I just want to see y'all grow and I just want to continue to grow. And I just, I'm very grateful for this. So thank you. And I guess it's my last goodbyes until further notice. Thank y'all. Thank you for checking out this episode of The Power of Exposure, a podcast brought to you by the team at Summerhouse Institute. Check us out on your favorite social media platform at Summerhouse Institute and find more ways to support the movement. And as always, thanks for the love.